Hey, uh, we're going to talk about an interesting subject today, and I kind of want to lead in with a question. How many of you remember what your first temptation was? That's going to take you back a long, long time ago. Think about it. What was your first temptation? I tried to think about all the way back to what mine might have been, and I don't remember, but I, I'm pretty sure that it was followed by some act of sin. <laughs> I know me pretty well. What was your last temptation? Think about that. You ought to be able to remember that. Was it, was it that extra you know, dessert last week? Was it another helping of turkey and dressing? Uh, preacher, you've gone to meddling now. Okay. All right. Do, do we even understand what temptation is? Do we really understand? The Greek word is parazo, which it means to incite or to entice someone to do evil, to sin. It's, uh, it means to seduce, to lure, to bait you. The goal of temptation is to hinder our relationship and our fellowship with God. And that is Satan's goal, trust me. You know, you and I were born with a sin nature that loves to be tempted. We really love to be tempted. We, we have this natural tendency to do that which is evil, to yield to evil things. Now, temptation in itself is not sin. But it is a pathway to sin. In the movie... Uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. If you remember that movie, it dates you, doesn't it? It goes way back. If you remember, there was a time when they were very small and they were out in the front yard and they were looking in the distance at the house and they were trying to figure how to get back real quick and so they knew that if they tried to walk, it would take forever and so uh, they decided to hitch a ride on an ant. The only problem is, how do you steer an ant? So they took a stick and a piece of cookie because they knew that ants have a weakness for cookies and they held that out in front of the ant and, and everywhere they wanted to go they would point the stick with the cookie and the ant would follow the stick with the cookie and they wove him through the grass and through the weeds and got to the house. Now, I tell you that because that is exactly what Satan does to us. He knows our weakness better than we know it. And he puts that weakness out on a stick and he dangles it in front of us. And he, he distracts us and he leads us away from God. That is his goal. He knows what bait, bait to tempt us with. He knows what it takes to get us away from God. I want you to look with me at how he tempted the very first woman. This, is, this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. The very first temptation. Look at what he did. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent, and we know that the serpent was embodied by Satan himself. Now the serpent was the shrewdest of all the creatures that the Lord had made. Not to mention, was he shrewd, but now he's possessed by Satan. And he asked the woman, Really? Did, did God really say that you must not eat any of the fruit in the garden? Well, if you remember the command that God gave Adam, God said you can eat of all the trees in the garden except for the one. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat of that. You shouldn't eat of that. For the day that you do, you will surely die. Look at her response. Of course we may eat it, the woman told him. It's only uh, the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. Now, 
That tells me she knew where that tree was. She already had her eye on that tree. She may have even handled the fruit. I don't know because look at what she says. She said, God says we must not eat it or even touch it or we'll die. Well, God didn't tell her that. God said not eat it. But she took it a little bit further. I can't even touch it. Look at what Satan says. You won't die. God knows your eyes will be open when you eat it. And you'll become just like God knowing everything, both good and evil. It says the woman was then convinced. She was deceived. It says the fruit looked so fresh. And it was delicious. And it would make her so wise. Oh, the tempting was so delicious. And so she ate some of the fruit and she gave some to her husband who was also with her. And he ate it too. Interesting. Eve was deceived by Satan. She was enticed to doubt God. To doubt God's love. To doubt God's word. To doubt God's truthfulness. She was also enticed into desiring what God told her and Adam to leave alone, not to mess with. What Satan said to her was designed to create in her an evil desire to be equal with God and also to satisfy her human desires above God's will. Now, for the first time in her life, she was enticed to desire a forbidden fruit which appealed to her lust of the flesh, her fleshly appetite. She was also enticed to desire a forbidden pleasure, which appealed to her lust of the eye, and a worldly wisdom, which appealed to her human pride. Satan was doing a job on her, folks. John tells us in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, some interesting words. If we would just heed this, he says, stop loving this evil world. Now, we don't look at it as an evil world, do we? Most of us think of the world as being the best thing that ever happened. But he says, stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love the world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only the lust for physical pleasure, the lust for everything we see and the pride of our the pride and pride in our possessions these are not from the father he says they are from this evil world and this world is fading away along with everything it craves but if you do the will of god you will live forever now sadly eve fell hook line and sinker for the bait that satan put in front of her she took the bait. She fell into the trap. She fell for the fallacy of life. She became consumed with the desire for material possessions, for aesthetic beauty, and for mental knowledge. Don't we do the same thing? I mean, we always want more. We want better. And we want to be smarter. That's what our institutions of higher learning tell us are the three things we need to strive for. Satan tricked Eve into thinking that all three of these fallacies was what life was all about. Uh, listen, that, that's, that's still the appeal of the world. 
We're still striving for these things. John MacArthur says, Since the fall of the Garden of Eden, temptation has been a constant, unrelenting part of, our, of human life. Men have tried to avoid and, and resist it and uh, with self-inflicting pain to make themselves uncomfortable and presumably humble or by isolating themselves from other people and from physical comforts. But no person has ever found a place or a circumstance that can make him safe from temptation. Guys, I don't know how to tell you this, but as long as you live in this earthly body, you're going to have to deal with temptation. It is a part of life. The important thing is learning how to handle it when it comes our way, learning how to be victorious over temptation. I want you to listen to what this 5th century Christian wrote about temptation. This was a long time ago. Things haven't changed. Listen to what he writes. He says, fly from all occasion of temptation, and if still tempted, fly still further. If there's no escape possible, then have done with running away and show a bold face and take the two-edged sword of the Spirit. Some temptation must be taken by the throat as David killed the lion, and others must be stifled as David hugged the bear to death. Some you had better keep to yourself and not give air. He said, shut them up as, a, as you would a scorpion in a bottle. Scorpions in such a, a confined, confinement die soon. But if allowed out for a crawl and then put back in the bottle and, and, and cork down, they will have a long while and will give you trouble. He says, keep the cork on your temptation and they will die of themselves. Good advice. Now, some of us would, would try to escape the different things that, that we're tempted with, like Benedict of Nursay did back in the 5th century. He, his goal was to surround himself with the grace of God and somehow escape temptation by wearing this, uh, this shirt made out of camel hair. Can you imagine how comfortable that was? He was, he was oh, I can't imagine. And he, and he lived in a cave, a, a deserted cave for three years, and the only contact he had with anybody were the people that came and they dropped food on a rope down to him in the cave. That was the only contact he had with humans for three long years. It's been said on one account that he threw himself into a briar bush and he rolled around and rolled around and he came out uh, covered with bleeding scratches and puncture wounds. He was trying to avoid temptation, but nothing that he ever did freed him from his temptation, no matter where he went, no matter what he did, temptation always followed him. Others like Jovinian, who was a 5th century monk, tried to, to uh, uh, overcome temptation by just denying that it even existed. His words were, he, he believed and he taught that after you're baptized, that then you're set free from forever from Satan's temptation and from Satan's power. Jerome, who was Jovinian's greatest opponent, said this. He wisely stated that baptism does not drown the devil. And that is so true. Just because you get baptized, just because you get saved, doesn't mean that the devil's dead. Guys, he's more alive than he's ever been. He is. That's why the writer of Hebrews wrote these words. He said, that is why we have a great high priest who has gone to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us cling to him and never stop trusting him. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the same temptations we do, and he did not sin. 
So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, for there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it. Folks, that high priest that the writer of Hebrews talks about is none other than Jesus Christ. And, and Matthew writes in his gospel about where that temptation all began for Jesus. He writes, as, as one author put it, the most momental, uh, most momental and, and, and mysterious uh, spiritual battle of all times, the, the personal confrontation between Jesus Christ and Satan. Can you imagine that battle that took place? Jesus and Satan in confrontation with each other. Matthew's going to tell us about it. In verse 1, we see the spiritual preparation of Jesus. Now, I want to begin by just bringing to your attention that, that Matthew tells us that immediately after Jesus was, was confirmed by the Father above and empowered by the Holy Spirit below, that the Son of God was severely tempted by the devil. Look at verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led out into the wilderness, wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted there by the devil. And for 40 days and 40 nights he ate nothing and he became very hungry. I can't imagine going 40 days without food. It's been hard enough just to cut back with the Daniel plan. This is a severe version of that. 40 days and 40 nights with nothing to eat. As soon as he was baptized, as soon as that was complete, his 40-day wilderness experience began. But I want you to notice, the devil didn't grab him by the nuff of the neck and, and, and drag him out into the wilderness. That's not how it happened. It says that the Holy Spirit that Jesus had just received led him into the wilderness. So this was something that God planned. This was all about God. This was God's will. Jesus entered that, that desolate environment, fully empowered and prepared to do battle with God's greatest enemy. Now, we could very easily go by this, and I don't want to do that. There's a great spiritual truth here that I think we need to understand. You see, on many occasions, shortly after there's a victory, there will come temptation. You hear me? All of us, we experience victories from time to time and we think we've arrived and we think we're there. But beware, shortly after those moments, those high experiences will come the temptation. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, If you think you can stand up to temptation, be careful not to fall. He says you are tempted in the same way that everyone else is tempted. Years ago, there was this football team playing a very important game, and, and they were winning. They were actually 50 points ahead uh, going into the fourth quarter, so the coach decided, I'm going to let everybody on the team play. And so one by one, he is clearing the bench and getting the guys in the ball game. And, and they're, they're on the, the five-yard line, and they're sure to score, and, and the coach decides to send in the fourth-string running back to carry the ball, hopefully, across the goal line. Well, the team gets together in the huddle. They call the play. They break the huddle. They line up on the ball. The ball is snapped, and the line plows forward, opening up this huge hole for this running back just to, to prance right through and score, and he did. The only problem was is as he went through the line and across the goal line, he, 
he, he, he realized what had happened, and he was so proud of his success that he, the only play the whole year that he, that he got in the game, he scores a touchdown, and it, it quickly goes to his head, and he's looking up in the stands, and everybody's going crazy, and he's just elated by what has just happened. And, and, and in that moment, what he doesn't realize is he's looking up into the stands and waving to everybody. He ran into the goalpost and knocked himself out. He got caught up in the moment. He let the temptation of the moment get the best of him. Success went to his head. That ever happened to us? That ever happened to you? I'm sure it does. But it never happened to Jesus. And you want to know why? It was because he was prepared to do battle. He was prepared to deal with temptation. Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness. When I say wilderness, I'm talking about a hot, a barren, and a very desolate place where the hills were like dust heaps. The limestone was blistered and peeling, and, and the rocks are bare, and they're jagged, and the ground is, is dry beyond measure. Nowhere in all of Palestine could Jesus have been more isolated and more uncomfortable. And he was there for 40 days and 40 nights, all alone, with no food. He became extremely hungry. He was tempted. We were checking out at Walmart yesterday, and I looked at the little glass case, you know, right there by the cash register, and it was this nice delicious beautiful mountain dew sitting right there and I told Joyce I said doesn't that thing look good <laughs> I haven't had one in three months boy I wanted one yesterday Jesus was spiritually ready to do battle with the enemy and that's the important thing he was ready I like what MacArthur says about this occasion. Listen very carefully. He writes, Satan met Adam in the paradise of Eden where everything good was provided and nothing harmful existed. And Adam lost his battle with Satan while in the perfect situation. The second Adam met Satan in the desolate, forbidding wilderness. Yet what the first Adam lost in an ideal environment, the second Adam won back in a terribly imperfect world, a perfect environment. What better proof can there be that spiritual and moral failure are not caused by circumstance, but rather by the character and the response of the one who is tempted? Wow, that's a true statement. You're never going to be free from temptation. The devil is never going to stop hounding you. He knows your weakness far better than you know your own. He knows you. And if you have any hope of ever being free from temptation, you'd better be prepared to do spiritual warfare. You'd better be prepared to do battle. 
I want you to look at the battle, the, the temptation that Satan threw at Jesus, beginning in verse 3. But before I do, let me just set the stage. I want you to note that Satan's goal was to take down God's Messiah. Do you understand how important that was for Satan? If he could conquer Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, then there would be no hope that you and I would ever be saved. And that was his goal. That was his goal, was, was to keep Jesus from the cross. He attacked Jesus from three different perspectives with three different temptations. He came from every angle. I want you to also notice that this is a personal confrontation. Some people would read this and go, oh, that's just a mythological story. No. Two very real persons were involved in this conflict. They engage in conversation. They engage in conflict. They go from place to place to place together. Two very real persons, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and Satan, your greatest enemy. Each temptation was designed to weaken and destroy the Messiah and his ability to accomplish God's redemptive plan. And each temptation was also designed to be progressively worse. Now the first was designed by Satan to get Jesus to distrust the providential care of his father, and thus take up his, himself, his own matter, and, uh, and, and, and well, care for his own well-being. It was all designed for him not to trust God, but to trust his own ability. The second temptation was designed to cause Jesus to put his father's care and his love to the, to the test, to, to see if God really cared, and, and to really to create doubt in his mind about his father. The third temptation was designed to get Jesus to abandon the Father's plan and substitute the plan of the devil. How many times are we tempted to do the same thing? Now, I want you to note that the, uh, the, the three different areas that the temptation focused on. Three. The first is a physical temptation. This came upon him when he was very, very hungry. After 40 days and 40 nights of no food, I'd be tempted to turn stones into bread. I might just eat the stone. I'd be hungry. There's a spiritual temptation here. When he's tired and he's weak, he's not slept. He's spiritually tempted to abandon God. There's also a psychological temptation here. When he's alone and he's isolated, He's tempted with his mind. Look at verse 3. Matthew writes, Then the devil came and said to him, and notice this, the very first word, if. If. He's creating doubt. If you are the Son of God, change these stones into loaves of bread. In other words, if you're really God's Son, just feed yourself. Just feed yourself. But Jesus told him, no. The scripture says people need more than bread for their lives. They must feed on every word of God. Folks, I want you to know that feeding your spiritual man the word of God is far more important than feeding your body. Amen. Ooh. Do we believe that?
Think of the comparison. How much, how much do you feed your body compared to you feeding your soul? Jesus said you must feed on every word of God. Which do you feed the most? I got up this morning and before I fed myself food, I fed myself the word of God. It's important. Look at verse 5. Then the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem. They left the wilderness and they head back into town to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, just jump off. For the scripture said, notice that the devil even quotes scripture here. He doesn't get it right, but he quotes it. He quotes it to fit his own desires and needs. We do the same thing. He says here that the scripture says he, he orders his angels to protect you and they will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on a stone. But Jesus responded and said the scriptures also say do not test the Lord your God. Folks, Jesus didn't need a miracle from God for him to do the Father's will. He was already fully committed to the Father's plan, even to the point of dying on a cross. He completely trusted his Father above. Verse 8 says, Next the devil took him to a peak of a very high mountain and showed him the nations of the world in all their glory. And he said, I will give it all to you if you'll only kneel down and worship me. That's all you got to do. Just, just focus on me for a minute. Give me your worship. But Jesus responded, get out of here, Satan. For the scripture says you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Folks, nothing would ever lead Jesus to abandon his father to worship Satan. Uh, Jesus knew Satan for what he was. I mean, he created him, didn't he? He created him as an archangel, one of the most beautiful angels of heaven. But the angel rebelled, and he went from being Lucifer, a beautiful angel, to Satan, a fallen angel. Jesus knew him as the father of lies. He, he knew him as the number one enemy of God and all that's good and all that's right. He knew him as the biggest loser. Because i got news for you. I've read the end of the Bible, and the devil loses. Amen? He loses. Now, I want you to focus with me for just a minute on how Jesus won victory over temptation. If you miss this, you miss everything in the sermon. Don't miss this. How did Jesus win victory over temptation? One word. Want to guess? Scripture. Scripture. Three times he quoted to the devil the Word of God. Why? Because there's power in the Word of God. It is truth. One of the very first verses I ever memorized was Psalms 119.11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word have I hid in my heart. The living translation or the living paraphrase says it this way. I have thought much about your words and stored them in my heart so that they would hold me back from sin. I like that. 
In other words, God, I've committed your word to memory so that your spirit can remind me of your will for my life when the moment of temptation comes. That way I will know and be able to do the right thing. Let's be honest for a minute. And I don't, I don't want you to raise your hand or you know, give it away, but how much time do you spend memorizing Scripture? We teach our kids to memorize Scripture, but how about us? Think about it. Do you spend as much time in the Word of God as you do playing video games? <laughs> or how about checking messages on your phone? If you just committed 10% of the time that you spend on those two devices to memorizing the Word of God, you'd be much better prepared to, to handle temptation. Amen? I am meddling now. Because we need to give emphasis to the Word of God. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It, it will give you truth, and we need truth today. We're being sold a bill of goods, and it's all a bunch of lies. Look at verse 11, at the victory that Jesus won. It says in verse 11, Then the devil went away, and the angels came, and they cared for Jesus. Now I want you to make note of the fact that when Jesus said to Satan, Get out of here, leave me, go away, that the devil had no choice in the matter. As strong as Satan is, he had no choice but to leave Jesus. Why? Because Jesus said, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. In other words, there's nobody that has more authority than me, Jesus said. Do you understand that Satan nor his demons, none of them have any power over Satan at all? In fact, James says that they tremble in terror every time that they think about God. Jesus has complete authority and power over Satan and his demons. And on top of that, and this is the beautiful thing for us, on top of that, he has given us, uh, who are his children, the same power to resist the devil. We don't have to succumb to his temptation. We don't have to do that. I love what James writes. He says, what do you think the scripture means when they say that the, the Holy Spirit who God has placed within us jealously longs for us to be faithful? What do you think that means? I think it means that God wants us to be happy, that God wants us to be fruitful, that God wants us to be at peace, pleasing Him and, and enjoying life. Notice verse 6. He gives us more and more strength to stand against such evil desires. As the scripture says, God sets himself against the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Here's the key, verse 7. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Did y'all get that? Notice the order here. Victory follows humility before God. He goes on to say in verse 8, draw close to God. You know that the closer you are to God, the less chance Satan's going to get you? You can't get too close to God. I got a 96-pound lab at the house that loves to get right here. 
She doesn't want anything between me and her. I need to be like that with God. I need to want to be as close to God as I possibly can get because I love him. Because I, I, I want to have victory over temptation. He says, draw close to God and God will draw close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you hypocrites. Look at this. And we, we often just read over this and we, we move quickly. But let's slow down. Let there be tears for the wrong things you have done. It should break our heart when we realize that we have fallen into temptation and sin against God. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. When you bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence on Him, He will lift you up and He will give you honor. Guys, listen, Satan has to leave us. When we submit to God. But know this, just as with Jesus, even though he leaves, he won't stay along, he won't stay gone very long. He's going to come back. And he's going to come back again and again and again because that is his goal to take you down. Do you understand that? He wants you to fall. He wants you to become neutralized to where you can't amount to anything for God. Look at what Peter writes. Be careful. Be careful and watch out for the attacks of the devil, your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. He wants you to be a victim. He is working on you being a victim. Take a firm stand against him and be strong in your faith and remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. Folks, Satan's never going to leave us alone. He's not. He's our enemy. He's always looking for a way to take us down, to, to distract us. He, he loves to discourage Christians any way that he can. He loves to get you to doubt God's word and doubt God's love and doubt God's truthfulness. He is a master at getting Christians to turn on each other. And all it takes is a little greed, a little selfishness, a little pride, throw in a little gossip and a few mean-spirited comments, and guess what? Satan wins and we lose. He is a master at doing what he does. He does it better than anybody else. But listen, even though he's going to come at us with every temptation that Satan throws, God provides a way for us to escape temptation. Amen? He does. You don't have to give in to, uh, to being a, a victim of his trap. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10. We read the beginning of it a while ago. He said, if you think you're standing strong, be careful, for you too may fall into the same sin. If you're looking at somebody else and going, man, look at what they did. I, I, you know, whew, I'd never do that. <laughs> Don't be so sure. He said, remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. But God is faithful. You circle those three words. God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you are tempted, 
He will show you a way out so that you will not give in to it. It's easy to sin. It's easy to, to give in to temptation and sin. Uh, we all have our weaknesses, don't we? We could probably take a piece of paper and write a whole list for it. But Satan will continue the list because he knows more than you know. We all have those things that pull at us. We all have those things that tempt us and distract us. And they constantly come at us. There's no rest for the weary. And if we're honest about it, uh, we would have to admit that we usually allow ourselves to be pulled down, uh, to be tempted and distracted usually by um, everything imaginable and, and certainly the things that are wrong in our life, all because, all because so often we think we're able to handle it. A lot of times we'll look temptation right in the face and go, you know, I can do this. I got it. I can handle it. I don't need anybody's help. But then we try to deal with temptation by ourselves, and guess what? We, we fail. And we fail, and we fail, and we fail, all because we're trying to do it by ourselves. I want you to know that God never intended, nor does he ask you to go through life alone. But how many of us are trying to be the Christian that God wants us to be all by ourselves in our own strength? We all are guilty of that. But listen to what Tony Dungy wrote. He said, God specifically created us to be in relationship, relationship with him and relationship with others. God is always bringing other people into our lives to walk with us to help us do what he's called us to do even better. So guys, what, what's the best way for us to find victory over temptation? What's the best way? Well, certainly, number one, do what Jesus did. Memorize Scripture. Because the more Scripture you, you have memorized and have in your heart and in your mind, when temptation comes, the better armed you are. But let me give you three practical, sound suggestions that I think will help you deal with temptation. We overlook these, but they're very important. Here's the first. If you're going to be victorious over temptation, then you need to stay grounded in and connected to your family. That's right, to your family. Now, I, I know that that's a real challenge for us nowadays because our families are scattered all over everywhere, are they not? They're, they're, they've moved here and they moved there and they're, they're going to school here and they're working over there. They're everywhere. And on top of that, the traditional family has either been replaced or redefined by so many in our present day. I've heard some very troubling things uh, this week about family. And I won't go into that, but if you've read anything in the last two or three weeks about some of our Christian authors and the statements they're making, God help us when it comes to family. Family is important to God. And if you don't have a godly family, then you need to start one or else find you one that you can join. Family is important. It's important to God. And I'm talking about a family by His definition. You were created to be in family. Family was the first ordained institution of God. But way too often we get too busy for family, don't we? And we get disjointed. And it's easy to become disconnected. And we do it a little bit at a time until we're just so scattered that we have nothing to do with family. Friends, don't let that happen. Stay connected to family. Family is important. 
especially a godly family. I love what Peter writes. And now this word to all of you, he says, you should be like one big happy family, full of sympathy towards each other, loving one another with tender hearts and humble minds. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't snap back at those who say unkind things about you. Instead, pray for God's help for them. For we are to be kind to others, and God will bless us for it. Stay connected to family. Second thing, stay rooted to people who are of similar faith and who have a similar focus on God and Christ. In other words, don't try to live your Christian life as a lone ranger. You can't do it. Find the church that God wants you to be a part of and plug in. Get involved. And don't just look for a church that makes you feel good. You hear me? Don't just look for a church that agrees with your worldly lifestyle or one that waters down the Word of God. Find the church that God wants you to be a part of and plug in be connected. Become a part of it. Plug into a small group. Plug into a Bible study. Join one of our small groups. Do something to get around other Christians. Why? Because you need people around you that are going to help you to grow in Christ and who will help hold you accountable to God. People who will help you to look more like Jesus. You need a spiritual family. You need to find a church where God wants you to be. And yet so often we go, hmm, I'm going to look until I find the one that I, I feel good about. It makes me feel real good. I love what Paul writes when he says this. He says, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desires. You've heard me say for 16 years that God custom builds churches. God has a church for you to be in, and he knows where you need to be, and he will place you there if you will let him. He will. Often, though, we don't give him the reins. We, we go looking for what we want instead of what God wants. Look at what else Paul writes. He says, Now you are no longer strangers to God when you get saved and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very, only very own family. You're part of that church universal, the citizens of God's country. And he goes on to say, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. That's, that's Paul's way of saying you need to find a local church for you to be a part of and get involved. You need to stay connected to family. You need to be connected to a church. But notice this third thing, and it's, this is maybe the most important. You also need to make sure that you stay close to God through a regular quiet time, a daily quiet time, and a personal time of worship. Without God at the center of your life, you will always be overcome with what tempts you. Friends, there's no victory apart from Jesus Christ. You'll never be able to do the things that God wants you to do or be the thing that God wants you to be without Jesus in your life. Without the spiritual power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, Satan will always have your number. And as they say in the South, he will always eat your lunch. He's good at it. He knows how to do it. 
But you know what? I love the fact that God has provided everything we need to have victory over temptation. We have everything we need. We, we've been given the Word of God. All we need to do is, is get the dust off of it and, and open it up and read it a little bit. And, and if you're a Christian, you have the, the Spirit of God working in you to teach you and to guide you through life and to empower you, to give you power and strength over temptation. I am a weak human being, and it's only in the strength of God that I can say no to temptation. Look, look at what Paul writes in Galatians 5.16. He says, walk in the Spirit. How in the world do you walk in the Spirit? You give the Holy Spirit control over your life, and you say, not my will, but thy will, Father. Whatever you desire for me to do, that is what I will do. Walk in the Spirit. Let Him control your life. And He says, And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, the New Living Translation says it this way. So I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Wow. What do we need to do to have victory over temptation? Stay connected to a spiritual family, to a godly family. Feed yourself daily the Word of God. Stay as close to God and be, be, be led by the Holy Spirit. Those three things are important. Which one do you struggle with the most? Is it staying close and connected to a spiritual family? Is it, is it plugging in with, with, with God and, and doing His will? through the power of the Holy Spirit? You know, is it, is it worshiping God? Is it praying? Is it, you know, stay, a steady diet of God's Word? Which is it? I guarantee you it's probably not just one. It's probably all three. How do I know that? Because when I was 22 years old, that's what my problem was. In fact, that's been my problem most of my life, but especially at age 22. You know, I just want to say this, and, 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 and this is not to point to anybody, but it's just to, to realize that there is a weakness that you go through when you're coming out of adolescence and you're finishing high school and you're getting into college and you're starting to make your way in the world. There is a stronger pull on your life at that point than any other time in your entire life. I didn't grow up in a Christian family I was allowed to go to church sometimes taken and dropped off occasionally my mom would go my daddy never went he only went on Easter and maybe Christmas and for funerals or weddings but I had no spiritual heritage to begin with Joyce and I got married I was 20 and she was 18, and we didn't know a thing about life nor marriage. It's a miracle we've been married for 42 years. It's a miracle. Two years into our marriage, I went to Sunday school one Sunday with Joyce, and I had a Sunday school teacher ask me to look up a passage of Scripture in the Bible. Now, I carried a Bible. I want it to look good. Just don't ask me to read it. Because when he said, I want you to look up this passage of Scripture, I didn't have a clue where it was. 
I couldn't have told you that there were 66 books in the Bible. I couldn't have told you there was an Old Testament and a New Testament. I did know that if you looked in the front, there were page numbers that told you where those books were at. And I was smart enough to do that. So I had to take that time, open it up, and I'm looking. Yeah, okay, it's right there on page 468. And I turned to page 468, and then I went, one, two, three, there it is, four. Chapter 4, verse 12. And then he said, okay, now that you found it, will you read it? <laughs> Wait a minute. You just said, find it. So I started trying to read it. And it was like reading Greek. Why? Because I never read God's Word. I didn't know what I was reading, and I'm sure that I mispronounced a lot of those words. But you know, I'm a man, and I got a certain amount of pride, and I'm going to do the best I can, and so I did the best I could. And I read it. And when I got finished, he said, okay, what do you think that meant? I went, wait a minute, we're going way too deep with this. But you know, us men, we're, we're not going to be without words. And when he said, what do you think it means? I, I told him what I thought it meant. I gave it my best shot. But then he said, no, that's not what that meant. And I went, well, stupid, why don't you just stab me, cut me, shoot me? You just embarrassed me in front of the whole class, and I'm never coming back to church again. I made, that mind, I made my mind up in that short period of time that I was done with God and I was done with church. Why? Because, you see, here's the real thing, and, and, and oftentimes it's this way. We, we give an excuse, and, and we say this is the reason, but that's the smoke, and the real reason's over here. The smoke's over here, but the fire's over here. The real reason wasn't because that Sunday school teacher embarrassed me. The real reason I quit going to church is because I was already being tempted by the world, and I was losing miserably. And he just gave me an excuse to walk out the door and not come back. I didn't go back to church for six years. And it wasn't that Sunday school teacher's fault, although he could have done a better job. Amen? But it was really God helping me. But I was too worldly to see it. I needed to be reading the Word of God. I needed to know how to look up a passage of Scripture. I needed to know what the Word of God meant. I was not doing my job. I was 22 years old. Now, why have I told that story? Because... Here's the truth. Whenever a preacher preaches about temptation or, or, or the truthfulness of God's word, you're going to do one of two things. You with me? You missed this. You've wasted your time this morning. You're either going to get right with God or you're going to take flight. You're going to get gone. You're either going to go, yes, that's what I needed to hear today and, and now I'm going to get right with God and do what I need to do so that I can go on and grow and be the person God wants me to be or else you're going to find yourself another place to be next week. Why do I know that? Because that's what I did. And that's what you'll do. The Word of God 
was written with as much grace and compassion as it could possibly be written. Jesus gave his life on a cross so that your sins could be forgiven. So that he could then come and dwell in you to help you to become everything that God wanted you to be. God wants the best for you that can, you can possibly be experienced, but it has to be done God's way. That's our problem. We want to pigeonhole God, put him on a shelf, seal him up in a box, put him in a Ziploc until we desperately need him, and then we drag him up and say, give me a miracle. God says, no, walk with me day by day by day by day, and you'll have everything you need and so much more. So what are you going to do today with, with today's message? You're either going to get right with God because you know what your temptation is and you know what you're struggling with and you're going to come and you're going to, you're going to say, God, help me with my temptation. You're going to humble yourself before God and he's going to give you the strength to resist the devil and you're going to have victory in sin or else you're going to just run as fast as you can run and go somewhere else. But you'll never escape temptation. And the quicker you learn how to deal with temptation, the more peace and joy and happiness you'll experience in life. And that's my goal for today, is to help you become everything God wants you to be. To have victory over temptation. Because victory leads to peace and joy and fruitfulness. Will you try God? Will you try God? I did, but it took me six years. I hope it don't take you six years. I hope it just takes you about two minutes. Let's pray. Father, I have shared everything you put on my heart to share today. And Lord, as I prepared this message this week, it brought up so many thoughts of the past that weren't pleasant. And it reminded me of the struggles that I had and, and even the struggles that I have today because I have not arrived and, and God, I still am tempted sometimes in more ways today than ever before because God, I understand that I wear a big bullseye on my back and I know that the devil and his demons try to, to chop me down and destroy me. If they tried to take Jesus down, they're certainly going to try to take me down. God, that's true for all of us. I thank you, though, that your, your word this morning so clearly says that, that, God, there's no temptation that we are faced with that you don't give us a way to, to have victory over it. You told us how today. I just pray for each and every one of us, Lord, that we will do what we know to do. James says so clearly in your word that when we know what we ought to do and we don't do it, it is sin to us. So, Lord, we know our temptation. Help us, God, to come to you, run to you, desiring to have you help us, Lord, with our weaknesses. Give us victory, God, so that we can become everything that you want us to be and so that we can be pleasing and God-honoring to you.
Lord, please, whatever you do, help us not to leave here the same. Change us. Change us. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's respond to God this morning. Let's go away a victorious people. Will you come?